Appearances is a serialized show. So if you haven't already, go back to the prologue and start listening from there. Hi. Hi. I'm at Persian Shabbat and my uncle's house. All through the night, as the guests enter through the front door, you can hear the sounds of the double kiss. Most kisses don't even land on cheeks, but occasionally, at the arrival of an older relative, moist contact is made. After a long hiatus of not showing up to family events, I'm back. And that's because the thing that I wanted happened. I'm pregnant now. Actually, sorry, I don't think I said that with enough fanfare. I, Melanie Barzada, am pregnant now. There resides in my womb the beginnings of baby. Baby. Baby for me. Baby for everyone. Baby. And no one can fucking take that away from me. Now I have the burden of a big secret, sure. But it's too late for anyone to make me second guess my decision. And so, I wander the party, secret in hand, and just watch. Everyone is so in it. They are really at Persian Shabbat. To them, it's not even Persian Shabbat. It's just Shabbat, or just Friday night. Listen, it is more valuable than a lot. It is so cute. Oh, it's so cute. The women are all crowding around my sister-in-law, Sahar. Um, that hurts. Clamoring to touch her tiny baby bump. Girl or boy? A couple of people turn to me and say, Soon for you. To which I respond, silently, in my mind, Sooner than you motherfucking know. Before you know it, one or two good lucky deals, you're a millionaire. Use the henna. There's no damages to the follicles of the hair. I wonder what they'll all think of me once they know. I try to picture myself eight months from now, showing up at a Shabbat dinner just like this one. And I can't even imagine it. If the entirety of my knowing these people is based on the mutual lie that I am following all of their rules, how can I show up one day with blatant evidence on my body that I have broken the contract? If anything, it nourishes the quality of every... From across the room, I watch my mother pour herself a glass of wine. She looks beautiful tonight. Today is a day that she seems to really, actually be happy. And not just happy that my brother and Sahar are having a kid. She seems happy with me, too. She doesn't seem so bothered that my dress is ratty and inexpensive. 
She just seems happy to know that I'm here. But once I tell her that I'm pregnant, it will destroy her. My friends tell me that my life decisions are none of my parents' business, but that makes no sense to me. It's her grandchild, and given that I'm single and very bad at handling domestic duties, I'm gonna need her help. And honestly, I think my mom would be able to handle all of this if it weren't for the community, for everybody's judgment. It's already been hard enough for her, having a daughter who, quote, thinks too much. Are you okay, Melanie June? You look very pale. Yeah, I'm fine. Period, Todori? No, mom. I definitely don't have my period. I can't tell her. I just can't tell her. I can't tell her. It's that I don't know how to tell her. And I don't know what her reaction will be when I do. I mean, I have some guesses. I've come up with four versions of how I think it can go. The four versions of how I think it can go. Version A is the version where I tell her and she disowns me. Get out of my house, Melanie. Get out of my house. Version B is the version where she's so mean about it that I disown her. You know what? I'm not your daughter anymore. It's done. Then there's version C, which is the one where she surprises me by being loving, accepting, and supportive. This is the best news that any mother could have ever hoped for. A pregnant daughter and no husband. Just a daughter, all by herself, no support. This is exactly what I've been hoping for all my life. And then there's D, what I actually think is the likeliest version. The one where she pretends I never said it at all. What do you mean, how do I feel about it? How do I feel about what? You haven't said anything. And for the rest of my life, she manages to somehow coexist with me while simultaneously completely ignoring the fact that I am a single mother. Shh, shh, shh. Come on, baby, calm down, calm down. Just calm down. Mom, what do I do? He won't stop crying. What are you talking about? Who won't stop crying? I don't hear anything. I know that version D kind of makes no sense. Like, if nine months from now I show up with my baby, is she just gonna act like my baby somehow isn't in the room? Seriously, I, I just don't hear anything. Or no, it wouldn't be quite like that. Maybe it would be more like this. It is so sad, Melanie. What's so sad? That your husband is dead. <laughs> right. Or no, more like this. My daughter Melanie is just holding the baby. It's my baby. That's my baby. My daughter Melanie is just holding the baby. It's my baby. Thank you, yes, congratulations to me. Or it's my baby. Wait, it's my baby. No, or I had an abortion. What? This, wait, or wait, no, or maybe it would be like, wait, what's going on with me? What's wrong with my brain? Wait, I, I feel like I can't think straight. Or like I'm being erased. Or, uh, hello? Hello? Hello, where am I? Melanie, yeah? I'm so sorry. Sorry for what? Who is this? It's Sharon, the author. What? No, you're not allowed in here. You told me this was going to be my show. We had a deal. I know. I'm sorry. But I'm having a serious problem as the creator of this. I'll say. What the fuck was up with that montage? You didn't like the montage? No. 
I didn't. But I used the Latin cha-cha. That's the third time you've used that music. That's kind of the point. It's a motif that keeps coming back. Whatever it was, it was a waste of time. I just wanted to get back to the Shabbat dinner so I could figure out a way to tell my mom the truth. Oh, come on. I wasn't going to have you tell the truth at a party with everybody present. Yeah, okay, but can you just figure out what needs to happen here? I can't. Why not? Listen, do you mind if I take over the episode for a minute? I just have some things that I've been thinking about that I want to say. What, are you going to go into a little speech now? I just need to talk to the listener. The listener? We're not supposed to talk about the listener. I know, but I'm struggling, and I need them to know that I'm afraid. What business is it of theirs? Isn't it enough that they know that I'm afraid? Me, your character, Melanie? No, it's not. I want them to know the truth. The truth about me. Okay? The truth about me is that the same way that you, the character, Melanie, are afraid of harming your mother by having a baby and humiliating her and putting all of this pressure on her. I'm afraid of harming my mother by this show being out in the world and humiliating her and putting all this pressure on her. And just like I'm stuck in my real life wanting to have a baby by myself and afraid of how that would make everyone in my family feel, I'm worried that making this show is just as bad, if not worse, than doing them the dishonor of having a baby by myself. And then, when I'm not worrying about my family, I'm worrying about the listener. I can't give the listener a solid story unless I have full faith in the story myself. And I don't have faith in the story. I thought that this show would be this magical universe where all the things that I'm confused about in my life could be worked out and explained. I thought that the clarity of the show might be able to find its way into my life. That by telling a clear and complete story here in appearances, my life would become a clear and complete story. But the more I work on the show, the more I realize that it's only making me more and more confused. Show and life, life and show, both things unclear. And then I'm, I'm like, I made this whole show fiction instead of documentary because I didn't want to harm my family. And honestly, I'm getting the sense that this fake show that's a six and a half out of 10 is just as harmful to everyone as a 10 out of 10 would have been. Wow, you really remind me of myself. Thank you. Not a compliment. Oh. But can I take over the episode? You've already taken it over. I guess just keep going. Okay. I'm just gonna start with the jazz music I like from episode two. Um. There's, There's a, a moment, moment in a Ross in McElway a documentary, documentary where he says, everything, everything is quivering with the kind of life that would be very difficult to reenact. The kind of life that would be very difficult to reenact. A documentarian with a predicament. A documentarian not allowed to document the things she wants to document most in the world. Her family. Always and eternally her family. 
Of course, no one in my family would be so foolish as to agree to be in a documentary. Not after what happened the last time, when I tricked my mother into going on a self-help cruise and then recorded us having the most painful conversation of our entire life. I'm not trying to hurt you ever, 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 ever. But I have to be myself. Like, I have to think I that know, I... know, Mali, you want to put me in position that I'm not comfortable with. I am struggling to make this work. And I am thinking about my mother. Not wanting to harm her with my art. Not wanting to harm her with my life choices. But if I am going to make space for a baby in my life, I am going to have to stop worrying about my mother. These concerns take up too much space. These concerns make it impossible to move forward. And when I am busy babying my mother, am I babying her? Or am I babying some imagined idea I have of her as a fragile, harmable entity? Is she the fragile one? Or am I the fragile one? And which one of us should I choose to protect? The sense that all things are out of my control. Yes, all things are out of my control, but this, this simple thing, my work, is this not at least somewhat in my control? Yes, a work of art is like a child. You have certain hopes for it. You want it to become some particular thing. By making it, you want to avenge something from your past, grab a hold onto something, define it in your own way. But it gets away from you. It insists on having its own identity. And the best way you can parent it is to usher it into the world, to support it, but not to control it. Always at the tip of my tongue, the truth, the real truth of what it is to be a human being. All the suffering, all the longing. And yet I sit down to render it and I am mute. I thought about calling this show Honesty. I thought about calling it Sweat Stains. I thought about calling this show Lines, as in lines of writing and lines of dialogue and telephone lines. I think my primary question is, what is happening while everything else is happening? What is the bird in the window of this story? What are the parallel ecosystems and how do I get more curious about them and how do I represent them to you? The same way I always want to check in with the lover and say, are you having a good time? Is this still pleasurable to you? I want to do with you too, the listener. Are you having a good time? Are you following along? Are we on the same page about what this is? Are we on the same line? But just as with a lover, if I check in too often, they will sense my insecurity and that will be unsexy. As an artist, I cannot check in too often or you will begin to wonder if you are really in the steady solid hands of a visionary. And if you are not in the steady solid hands of a visionary, then why even bother to continue to listen? Or is there something to be gained from the insecure story insecurely told by the insecure artist? 
Why must the confident, sure-handed Scorseses of the world be our masters of storytelling? What would it be to make a good piece of work that is unsure of itself? Does such a thing exist? Or is the mark of great work the work's own certainty of what it is? Or is it possible to be indecisive and still make great art? Possible to be indecisive and be a good artist? I am thinking about that Anne Bogart line about how sometimes the production designer will come to you and ask you where to put the chair. And you have no idea where to put the chair. But as the director, your job is to say, put it upstage left about two feet in front of the curtain. What if you have no idea where to put the chair and you tell the audience at the outset, look, we didn't know where to put this chair. So we're gonna be moving it around the stage as the story unfolds, and out of curiosity, by a show of hands, can you let us know if that's okay with you? But if you do that, the audience may or may not know if you're serious. They may or may not know if they should raise their hands. And if no one raises their hands, does that mean you leave the chair upstage left two feet in front of the curtain? And... In a radio piece, you can't ask the audience because they aren't there live with you. This isn't choose your own adventure. People downloaded and pressed play on appearances or sweat stains or honesty or lines, not on the alternate idea for the show, appearances with a little help from our listeners. The whole reason the audience came to show was to let go and be taken and so I ask myself, am I going to give the people what they want? Or am I going to be a burden and have the people carry me? No, dear listener, I would never burden you. Not more than I already have. I am here for you. What follows is really, truly, absolutely Melanie's story, which is my possible future. Hear that sound? Want to know what it is? That's me. I'm rebuilding the fourth wall. It shan't be broken again. Good day. Good day to all. Wait, Sharon? Before you go? Yeah? This is Melanie again. Uh-huh. I just want to say, I don't see why you're making such a big deal. I am you. We're the same person. I'm just your pseudonym. NBD. Writers do it all the time. They give their character a different name when the character is really just basically them. I honestly don't even care when people accidentally call me Sharon or Shah because I am Sharon and Shah. I am all of us. No, Mel. That's not true. You and I, we were the same person. You were just my pseudonym. But the moment you injected that sperm... You became someone new. You're you now. You. And what I want to say to you is, go, surpass me, be free, do for us what I cannot do for myself. Be brave. Please, for the love of God, someone in this story needs to be brave. Do it for us. And I mean all of us, not just me, Sharon, your author, 
but for all of us Iranian girls who have felt held back, all of us who felt not allowed, please live your dream. Go. And this is where we say goodbye. Melanie, are you okay? Mom, there's something I have to tell you. Okay, Vali, not tonight, some other time. Yes, okay, some other time. It's important. Okay, tell me later. Okay. This has been episode six and a half of Appearances, an audio mind trip written, directed, and sound designed by Sharon Mashihi. The roles of Melanie, her family members, and the Shabbat guests were performed by Sharon Mashihi, who also performed in this episode as herself. Our mix engineer is Harry Nazan, our story consultant is Sunita Prasad, our associate producer is Ariel Mejia, our associate producer of pre-production is Monique Laborde, Graphic design by Homa Davaroy, with social media support from Natalie Prest. And I, KP, am the editor and executive producer of this series. Special thanks in this episode go to Paula Thompson, Valerie Dauphin, Melissa Lowe, Dina Ecker, Sean Punch, Jen Ng, Ali Pinel, Millie Cap, Matheson Westlake, and Sharon Mashihi's journal, who is basically a real person who deserves credit every once in a while. Sharon wishes to thank the following organizations for their generous support. New York State Council on the Arts, McDowell, the Ragdale Foundation, Union Docs, and IFP. This show is a production of Mermaid Palace, an audio arts company. If you want to learn more about the show, if you want to see pics of the real live Sharon Mashihi in her art workshop, aka her various apartments that she has been sublet hopping over the course of this past year, you can go to at Mermaid Palace Art on Instagram. This show is made with the support of your dollars. If you have any dollars to give to the art that you like and you like this art, if it has tickled your fancy, if it has made you cry, if it has made you feel something, if it has helped you start a conversation, if it has helped you imagine a future for yourself that you never before thought was possible, then please go to Mermaid Palace org slash appearances and show us some of your love so that we can keep doing this work in the next episode melanie tells her mom i have to throw up okay hold it hold it hold it i pull over thank you to audrey martovich and julie shapiro at radiotopia for loving this along the way and helping it to go out into the universe Appearances is a proud member of Radiotopia. Radiotopia. Radiotopia.